Welcome to the Card Authority Podcast, where we talk all things trading cards, AFL, NBA, and more. We cover it all. Check out cardauthority.com.au for more information, news, and all our episodes. And now, this week's episode with your hosts, AJ and AJ. Welcome to another, well, late night Card Authority podcast for AJ and myself. AJ, welcome back. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, all the sane people, they'll be watching this probably during the daytime in the afternoon, but little do they know that right now it is 11.59pm the night before. Mm, well, we, we do these things for the team. We're always here and we want to always get out fresh content. And sometimes that means doing it a little bit later than we would have liked to and we certainly plan to. But hey, that's what it's all about. How's your week been, mate? Mate, it has uh, been another crazy week of, uh, of trading cards. Um, things have probably settled a little bit now with dominance and um, some benchmark pricing is starting to come in and the market's starting to settle a little bit. But uh, I think that's just temporary and I think it's going to be a bit more volatile over the next couple of weeks as well. Um, and yeah, probably a, a whole bunch of different factors that contribute to that and why I'm sort of thinking that way. Well, we did sort of mention that there was going to be a little bit of movement eventually. Like they can't always continue to climb, climb, climb. And there has definitely been a little bit of a dip this week. Um, I think what was interesting about the dip and what I certainly noticed that the cards certainly held their value. They weren't being sold for stupid low prices. That perhaps there just wasn't as many sales happening on eBay. Is that a fair assumption? Is that how you saw the market? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, we, we've talked about a couple of episodes ago about market depth. And when I say market depth, I'm talking about what's actually available on the secondary market from the buyer's side and the seller's side. And uh, people that would be familiar with buying or selling shares or trading shares or, or any anything, you know, equities or, or whatnot, would be quite familiar with the depth. And the depth is often a really good way to judge what's going on in the market and where the true value of something sits. Um, so, you know, in a lot of instances, someone will say, well, the value of a card should, is based on what it last sold for. But that's actually not correct. It's certainly a factor, but the value of a card is ultimately based on what someone is prepared to pay now. Yep. And what really determines how much someone's prepared to pay is the availability of that card. Because if there's none available, if there's something, you know, if there's a card that 50 people want, but there's only one available, well, whoever decides to, to pull the trigger on it, that's how much it costs at that given time. But the very next day, if there's none available, what's one guy thinks is a crazy price. So the next person's going to say, well, no, there's none available. So I'd pay even more than what that guy did. But all of a sudden, if the circumstances turn the other direction and 20 of those cards are available on that next day, well, people wouldn't want to pay as much as what that person did. So the market depth becomes really critical. And with regards to this release, um, I think we saw based on the product distribution and how it was being purchased and everything initially that we would expect to see a much lower level of supply on the secondary market than we saw with Prestige. You know, Prestige was all sold very quickly. It was all busted open very like furiously by people. And then it was all unloaded straight onto the marketplace. Um, so yeah, certainly not as much. My numbers were indicating, I haven't really looked at them again in the last couple of days, but we were, at a, we were at a point just after release where only about 22% of the, the listing volume for what we saw with Prestige was there for dominance. So, yeah, only about a quarter of the amount of cards. 
you think it was a little bit of a perfect, not a perfect storm this week, but I think a lot of the collectors that were either master set collecting or was chasing certain things probably pulled the trigger a little bit quicker, this release. And then sort of two weeks on, you found that there wasn't the same demand for those cards because a lot of them already had them. And also the perfect storm that people had spent a lot of money over a couple of weeks. They weren't able to buy boxes. So they went out and bought cards and bought sets. You know, everything works on a pay cycle or a cyclical value. And if people don't, you know, spend all their money for a week and are living week to week, which a lot of us are, you know, you've got to wait again for the next pay cycle or the next flow of money in, which means they might not be buying cards until a Thursday or Friday once a pay packet comes in. Is that a fair sort of, that's sort of how I saw it perhaps this week. Do you think that's a fair assumption of what happened? Yeah. Um, so, you know, to, to answer both of those, it's a, I suppose a, a two-pronged question there or, or statement really um, is traditionally cards come out, they start high, then they drop really quickly. And a lot of the set collectors, master set collectors, team set collectors, player collectors, whatever it may be, would never be in a rush to attain a card because the cards would normally come out over time and over, over a prolonged period of time. And there would be plenty of opportunity to get what you want. And there, and there wasn't as much competition in the marketplace. Now, what's happened here is you've got a couple of things going on. One, we've got a huge new entry of participants that's not only taken place over the last six months, but even over the last three or four weeks, you've got a whole, a whole new wave of people that have come into it. Um, then you add on to that the fact that Prestige sold so quickly and so much volume was unleashed onto the secondary market that it changed the mindset of a lot of collectors where they knew if they didn't jump immediately because all the stock was unloading so quickly onto the market, if they didn't get the cards they needed for their set, they might actually miss out on them. Now, I think what's happened here is in people's minds, well, the product sold out instantly. So therefore the expectation is that instantly all cards hit the marketplace. So if you want to get your set done, you have to get it done straight away. And the people that would ordinarily would have waited and done it over a longer period of time instead of gone bang straight from the outset and gone for everything. But I think that people also need to keep in mind that not the same amount of stock has actually been opened here. So that has only started to set in the mindset over the last probably five to seven days where people have started to say, okay, well, there is actually more cards starting to come out on a continued basis. Instead of 8,000 cards being unloaded on eBay in the first 48 hours, only two and only 2,000 were unloaded on eBay then, but then consistently every day there's 200 cards being uploaded. And that's a representation of the stock being opened and the manner in which it's being opened because it's not just collectors buying boxes, opening the boxes themselves. It's being attained in a number of different ways. Um, so, and that as a result is that's, that's what causes the price pressure and the expected downward price pressure we're seeing. Um, but it's not, again, the, the flip side to it is that price pressure isn't as significant as what it would normally be because there isn't a flood of stock on the market. Yeah. So there, it, there isn't like an abundance of particular types of cards. So the drop hasn't been as significant. So overall, what I would say my assessment is cards came out at a higher single market value, which was reflective by a bigger marketplace with more people collecting and therefore more demand. They have dropped or some haven't dropped as we expected, but a lot have dropped 
but they haven't dropped as much as they would if you compared it to previous years. And again, that's because there is demand and there's people there to purchase those cards, coupled with the fact that not all the stock has rushed onto the market. So um, does, does that mean that there is going to be almost a little bit of a time lag for that evolution of it? Do you think that um, the prices will bounce back or do you think it's going to be a little bit more stable now in this current environment? Yeah, so, so, you know, what I would expect to happen, and again, this is just my opinion and judging from what I can look at and, you know, the, the, the information I try and attain by looking at different sales and looking at different transactional things and what's going on across all the different platforms and the social media pages and stuff is my expectation is that we are reaching a low point already if people are thinking that the ass is going to keep falling out of certain cards and the value of certain cards, I would say that that would only be a, a small minority of cards that still, still have much downside to them. I would say in a broad sense, there's maybe five or 10% more on the downside at best, but I think we're going to already start to see an upward bounce over the coming days. And again, it's going to come back to the depth issue whereby people are going to be just expecting that, 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 that what's on the market is what's on the market now. So they want to get their sets complete and they're going to realize, okay, well, that card that's dropped from 500 down to 400 isn't actually going to go to 350 and it's more likely to start bouncing back to 430 off the 400 mark so that someone needs to make a decision and you've got that, that stalemate on either side of the fence and then someone makes the call and they go, fuck it, I'm going to buy that thing and I'm going to pay the 400 and bang, that's all of a sudden the start of the upward price pressure because that will cause the next guy to then go in line and buy it. Um, and I think the fact that the, the product's not going to, you know, a lot of the cards because of the way it's being consumed and opened and busted, it's actually not going to come out for a period of time. So the perceived rarity of cards increases from this point now. Yeah. Okay. That's very valid. And I guess, look, you know, only time will tell and we'll certainly keep our eyes on the situation and keep analyzing the data for you guys at home to, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to hopefully see the trends that are going to happen. But um, yeah, I think it's an interesting time and it'll be very, it'll be, yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens over the next week or so. Um, but yeah, that's a, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. What you said about the, uh, the financial side as well. Um, yeah, is, is absolutely right. Um, you know, money is cyclical, especially with regards to people who are employed and are getting paid through jobs, but even more so in the period of coronavirus and the COVID-19 situation, because there's so much stimulus being provided at both a personal welfare level, but also at a business level to ensure that people are getting paid, you know, job keeper, job seeker, all yep. that other sort of stuff. It's, it, it's really, it's magnifying um, the, the reality within the marketplace and how people are spending um, connected to pay cycle more than ever before. So it's, uh, it becomes a situation where, yeah, there, there's certain times of the month at the moment or certain days of the week where you see buying really slow down, intent to sell really increase, causes downward price pressure only for a few days then all of a sudden the money flows back in that people are getting. They then want to spend that money and the price pressure goes the other way. So there's so many different, uh, different forces going on here, especially at the beginning of a new release and, you know, an unprecedented time at the moment with, with everything that's going on, both in the hobby and external to the hobby. So, yeah. yeah. And, one, and one thing I certainly noticed, and we, we talked about this during the week was that pretty much anyone that put up a break in the first sort of seven to 10 days of dominance being released, 
snap filled. Like I mean snapped, like within sort of, you know, under a couple of minutes, everything was filling. Didn't really matter the price point. Didn't really matter the combo of the boxes. It just filled. Whereas we talked about this on Saturday and Sunday, that there were some breaks that were taking 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour to fill, which we hadn't seen for like 10 days. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, you and I are both are probably going in quite a few breaks at the moment. Probably you, you more so than me. You, uh, you uh, definitely take the flag for that one. Um, <laughs> but also, as, as a lot of people would know, uh, you know, I'm involved in RGV, the randomly generated victories thing, which, um, you know, it's a transactional platform associated with AFL cards. And uh, exactly the same thing. We see the same from our measurements as what the breaks were seeing. And we're looking at what's going on with the breaks as well. And the market gets to a point where it becomes fatigued. People have spent so much money in such a short period of time and so much excitement that they're both financially worn out, but also physically worn out. Yeah, um, you know, th- that's the thing, like they're physically worn out. You know, that first few days, there was people up till four or five in the morning every night trying to get into late night breaks being listed at midnight and, and, and beyond. That might have you been know, us. Now, yeah, we were definitely a party for that. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit, people are a bit exhausted. But I don't know. I've been saying, like, I, I thought that we, the whole hobby and the market sort of hit a real flat point around Sunday. Yep. And it's been, it's been flat. It was really flat Monday, Tuesday, started to recover a, a little bit Wednesday. And then today I'm starting to feel like the whole more buying's going on. More people are buying yeah, cards now. Yeah. Um, more breaks are filling. There's just more going on. And I'm feeling like we're moving into towards the end of the week. It's just been that, you know, right now, well, it's actually after midnight now. So it's officially Friday for you and I. Um, <clears throat> and as we move over the next few days, I think we'll see things start to probably ramp up again. Um, whether it slows again Monday, Tuesday, I don't know. I think we could see a big ramp up now for the next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens though. All right, nice one. Well, look, as I said, we'll certainly keep an eye on what's going on and um, yeah, keep reporting back to you guys about the data that we come across. So look, it's obviously been a big week. We had a special guest on last week, um, Grayson from Cherry. And look, we need to thank Grayson again for making some time for us. But um, certainly the feedback that I've received personally and the interactions we've had on our social platforms have been brilliant. Um, How's the feedback been for you? Um, it was a really great chat that we had with him. Uh, yeah, I, I, my feedback's been super strong from everyone I've spoken to. Um, I thought Grayson was it was great having him on, and I thought he was really open and transparent um, with us. And I feel like we, you know, uh, you, you especially sort of asked a few things and said a few things that it could have been really easily deflected or deflected, I should say. And rather than being deflected, I think he really went into to specific answers with them. Um, to be honest, I would have actually loved to have gone even longer in that segment. And uh, I think there's probably a lot to pick up with him. And uh, I'm sure we'll have him be, hopefully be able to get him back on, on again. And I know he, he seemed to have a good time and, and Cherry's really enjoyed that conversation with us. But I, I thought... It was a really great opportunity for us to have a chat with a guy that so many people talk about and a business that so many people talk about and people make so many assumptions about and people have so many thoughts about. And I thought the ability to to showcase the human side of that and have that human side of it actually be able to, to talk to the people and talk to the listeners and and be able to, to give them the insights and the answers of his way of thinking. And 
why Cherry does certain things the way they do it and how that then impacts everyone else. I thought, I thought that was a, an amazing opportunity. And yeah, I thought, yeah, as I said, he could have just as easily deflected everything. And I thought he, he really answered it. And I think if we had more time, we probably could have gone more in depth as well. So oh, I, I completely agree. I, I think we could have talked for two or three hours, but obviously we've got to be conscious of our listeners and people doing other things yeah. and we couldn't put out a two hour show, but um, yeah, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And um. Yeah, hopefully we can get him back on board um, later on in the year, perhaps to have a little bit more of a chat. Um, yeah. So yeah, thank you, Grayson and Cherry, obviously for making some time for us. All right, well, look, let's have a, a little bit of fun, but also have a little bit of seriousness. Um, I'm creating a new segment for us, AJ, and it's called Cardboard School. And what we're going to do at Cardboard School is talk about some things that 99% of you guys out there probably know, you may be doing it all right. You may be doing some wrong. You might be scared to ask a question about it, but we're going to see if we can, uh, I guess from me, who's probably not as experienced or definitely not as experienced as you, but it's coming to the hobby and you want to do things right. We're going to see if we can just give a few guidelines. And today, our first part of Cardboard School is going to be talking about packing and sending cards. Now, as people know, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I've been a bit partial to be buying the odd logo. And, um, you know, I've certainly had some logos arrive this week. Some have been packed beautifully and some not so beautifully. So I thought I'd ask you a few questions. So first of all, should someone be sending a card in a white envelope with a window in it? That is, uh, my friend, one of the things that people should not be doing. And I can tell you, as someone who's been on the receiving end of that, it's completely unacceptable. Um, okay. irrespective, okay. irrespective if it's a $2 card or a $2,000 card, everything we need to consider is we have a card, we protect it and keep it, it's precious object and we do everything we can to make sure it stays in perfect condition. So if it's going to end up with another person, well, we're obviously going to make sure that it maintains that condition on its journey to that person. And this is, it's a big gripe for me and many other people in the hobby is when you receive things that are not packed correctly. And a lot of it is really innocent and people don't understand the sure. correct way it should be done. So I'm so glad you've started this segment, AJ. All right, well, the next one, should I, or we'll talk about it, should I be sending a card in a sandwich bag or a glad bag? Uh, putting a card singly into a sandwich bag or a glad bag is not acceptable because you're not sending a sandwich to someone. Okay. We're not passing a sandwich. We're passing a piece, of a piece of cardboard or pieces of cardboard that are susceptible to many types of damage. Um, if the card was appropriately packed and reinforced with other things and then wrapped in glad wrap or put in a sandwich bag or whatever, different story altogether. But uh, again, as someone who's been the recipient of literally a loose card in a sandwich bag, in a paper DL windowed envelope, it's unacceptable. <laughs> okay, it is unacceptable. Well, I like that you mentioned cardboard. All right, so AJ, is it acceptable for me to sticky tape a card to a bit of cardboard on its own? Well, Andrew, AJ, my friend, I'm sorry. As you know, we both have young children, and the children make a drawing. And then they put sticky tape on their drawing or on their piece of paper or their cardboard, or they put a sticker on it perhaps. And then they go to take it off. 
And what happens? It damages the thing that they have worked so hard on. Mm. So in this instance, trading cards are all about the condition and the surface is really critical. So if you're one of those people that thinks it's fine to put sticky tape over the trading card to secure it to something in an envelope to send to someone, that my friends is unacceptable. Okay. 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 I'm starting to get a bit of a picture here. AJ, is it acceptable that I've gone to the effort to find a top loader and a top loader is a hard plastic container, which I'm sure everyone knows what they are. Is it acceptable for me to put a card straight in a top loader without it being in a sleeve? Well, AJ, I would like to tell you, my friend, that most people, if they're just getting into cards, that assume, well, I've got a top loader and this is the best protection possible. So I can just take my card and stick my card straight into the top loader. Well, I'm here to tell you, my friends, as someone who learned the hard way himself when he first started in the hobby, that is not the way to do it. Okay. Because of the hard plastic, the card is susceptible to being scratched. And especially as it moves around inside the top loader. So the thing that needs to be done is a penny slip. The card needs to go into a sleeve, a plastic sleeve, what's otherwise known as a penny slip or a penny sleeve. And then from that sleeve, it goes into the top loader. Um, some people are really particular like myself where I have also cards in folders. I always put my cards into sleeves and then into the, into the pocket in the folder. So it's got that double layer of protection just because the, the pockets are a bit harder in terms of the, the material and the plastic. So uh, I would say, aside from the fact that Select puts the case cards straight into top loaders and not into penny sleeves in their cases, mm. aside from that, it's really, it, it's, it's, not, it's not acceptable, mate. It's unacceptable. Okay, okay. Is it acceptable if you've got your card in a sleeve and in a top loader that you just put that top loader in a padded mailer? Well, this is something that does actually happen a lot and it mm. really gets to me because it's quite frustrating because by the time the card gets to you, the top half of it's sticking out of the top loader because of all the movement that it's had. Um, so there are many ways to get around this. Something as simple as putting some tape on the top will stop the card from coming out mm. using some cardboard or using some common cards, some base cards or some old cards that you don't need on each side of the outside of the top loader to reinforce it and strengthen it so it can't bend and can't be damaged. The reality is if it's inside a padded mailer that's larger than the size of the actual cards, which it's always going to be, then it's going to move in transit. So it's the responsibility of the sender to, to really reinforce that internal packaging of the card to make sure that it can move in transit and will be all right. Um, the, you know, the real proper way to do it is, you know, your card into a penny sleeve, into a top loader, and then into what's called a team bag, mm -hmm. which are effectively small plastic bags designed for cards. And they have team bags, one touch bags, graded sleeve bags, and they're all, all different sizes. And then again, reinforcing those internally, whether that's with cardboard or some base cards or, or however, you know, there's... I've, I've been using an icy pole stick the last week. Anyone that's been getting mail for me for the last mm. seven days is getting, is getting top loaders reinforced with, uh, with icy pole sticks, these icy pole sticks, these things right. here. And uh, I'd love to demonstrate for you at some point, actually, 
And I actually received a, a parcel from, from eBay a few months ago that came with the paddle pop sticks or the, the icy pole sticks, you know, braced onto the top loader. And I was like, at first I, I opened the package. I was like, you gotta be kidding. Not, a, not another eBay special. And then I looked at it and I was like, nah, this guy must be an engineer. This is, this is genius. absolutely genius. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, well, look, obviously we're having a little bit of fun with this segment. And as again, you know, most people know how to do the right thing, but let's just be clear again. So give, give everyone out there, you just sort of touched on it very briefly then. What is the optimal way to send and what's the process you should be doing? And if you don't have any of those things, what's the solution? Because there's probably some people out there that have bought a couple of packets you know, they don't have team bags or they don't have top loaders or, you know, how do these people deal with the situation of having to send a card? Well, AJ, I'm not just going to answer your question here today. What I'm going to attempt to do is actually demonstrate Ooh. for everyone. For those that are watching, I'm going to demonstrate it, you know, physically. A visual medium. Talk, like yeah, it. visual medium. And either I'm going to talk my way through it or you are, you are going to talk talk, mm, at, talk our uh, viewers through it as I do it. Mm, I'm going to shift the, the camera around a little bit here and see uh, see what we can do. Who knows what we're going to see on this camera when that gets shifted around. That is true. This is, this is, what, the, a... this is what the Card Authority podcast has been lacking, props. Oh, yeah, this is, this is, yeah, this this is, is going to nice. angle correctly. Yeah, this is perfect. All right. All right. So you've got, Alrighty, you've got said card. I've got said card, but I think what I'm going to do for you, what's your thoughts on... Should we go the double whammy here? And should I explain to people how to do a redemption and how to pack the card because it's all going to connect together? We may as well hit both of them here. Yeah, well, I I guess I'll give a little bit of a lead into that while we're all looking at your crotch. Um, Basically, in this current season of Dominance, there's been heaps of redemptions. There's the captain signature. In previous releases, you've got premiership redemptions, Guernsey redemptions, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of questions we get asked here at Card Authority is, how do you actually go about redeeming a card? And I guess the first part of that is actually how to package it properly to send it into Select. And I guess we're going to see a live demonstration here. So we're going to do uh, a live demo. All right, do it. Let's go. Here, I like here it. we go. All right. So I'm going to start off here with a redemption card that I actually have in my collection that needs to be redeemed. Okay. And what this is is a uh, it's a Future Force Honor Roll card, basically. Sure. And uh, as you can see, it's got down the bottom here a little hole punch. So right. the process with this card is you hit it in a packet and then you send it in as per the instructions on the back and you send it into select and they then return this card hole punched plus the redemption that comes with it. Now, depending okay. on the type of card, it could be a signature, it could be a patch, it could be just a card. This one returns a card which has a bunch of players on it, basically, okay, um, which right. were the, the, the top the top draft picks for St Kilda that season. Okay, but two things is, one, you're still going to have this card in your collection afterwards because you're going to get it back. So you sure. still have to send it properly. So we're going to do the double up demonstration here. I'm going to show you how to pack a card and how to send that card and right. how to do it with the context of a redemption. Right, so I've got my it. card. So I'm going to put the card down here for a second. Okay. Now, is this, are, get, are, are you grabbing foil? Are you grabbing a sandwich bag? There is no sandwich bag. There is no foil. I'm very okay. fortunate that I have I have the supplies. But what I'm also going to do is show the show the show the the viewers mm. how they can actually do it if they don't have the supplies. So I'm going to show the way to do it if you can get the supplies, and the way to do it if you don't have it, because okay. there, there's always shortages. All right. So in my hand here, I've got a top loader. 
<clears throat> standard 35 point top loader yeah yeah always really critical to make sure depending on the card you have that you have the correct size top loader cards come in all different sizes traditionally afl select cards are 30 point or 35 point stock unless it's you know in the current series a dominance card for example has to go into 55 point hardware and protection so in this instance i've got my 35 point top loader here i have a standard penny sleeve in my hand as well which right. is just a thin plastic sleeve yep yep not oh, not a card. not a sandwich bag not a sandwich bag okay. i'm going to take my card i'm going to put my card inside the penny sleeve bang yep. inside the sleeve she goes nice there it is i'm going to take our top loader going to just peel open the top of the the top of the toppy i should say slightly yeah. One edge on the top load is always raised as well. So it's always easy to open it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put the card into the top loader, mm. gently slide it in and just give it a little tap, tap, tap of roux. Yeah. Nice. Tap it on your desk, in your hand, whatever it is. The card is inside the top loader. Fantastic. Yeah, but as good. we discussed, as we discussed, you can't just send a card like that. Mm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a couple of ways. What I mentioned before was a team bag. Here's yeah. a team bag. Yep. So it's basically, it's, it's literally just a small bag and it's got, uh, it's got some adhesive on the top. I'm going to take my card, got my card in the top loader, in the sleeve in the top loader, I'm going to pop it in the bag. Then what's easy for me, I have endless amounts of base cards, especially from this series because I've opened so much stock. So I know I'm never going to get rid of them. So why not actually utilize them? So I've got myself a little pile of seven or eight base right here. Yep. I'm going to take half and I'm going to put half of them on one side, inside. So they're inside, inside the team bag. I'm putting half on the other side. Yep. They're in. I'm going to seal her up. So I took off the plastic of the, the seal, fold it over itself. Bang. Okay. So what we've got going on here is the top, the top of the bag is sealing closed the top of the top loader. And then on either side, we've got a bunch of base cards which are reinforcing it so it's nice and it's steady. Nice, like it. All right. Yep. Watch out, David Nader, bro. This is this is yeah. this is some uh, this is some good insights here. Take notes, everyone. So packing technique number one. Now like let it. me get another card. Let me see what else I've got Ooh. here. This is, not, this is not a great view of you, AJ, but uh, hopefully for Sorry, people mate. listening to the podcast, they uh, they didn't have to see that. All right, we've got another card. All right, let's see another card. All right. Would you believe it? Yeah, this is not the same one. It is another card of the same type, but is a different number. But I also have to get redeemed. What a surprise! Yeah. Okay. So there it is, back to its uh, standard form. Yep. I've got a penny sleeve. I'm going to put it in a penny sleeve. Yeah. Like I'm it. one of those people. I'm in a situation where I don't. Uh, I don't even have a top loader, so I don't okay. have a top loader. But I've, I've got a penny sleeve. And I'll be honest with you: if you don't even have a penny sleeve, then don't even send the card. Don't even put the card up for sale or trade. Yep. if you're not going to have a penny sleeve at the very least. Yep. What I'm about to show you is certainly not the ideal way to send a card, but it is the last last case resort, really. Like, it's the last resort on how to do it, okay? Yep. So just before, I went and found an empty box, and I cut two pieces of cardboard slightly bigger than the size of the card. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's yep. much bigger. Yep, I see. Yep. Yep. One of them I didn't cut so well, but it's uh, it's not going to matter too much anyway. Now, we can make a sandwich with two pieces of cardboard and put it in between. But what I actually prefer to do is just to give it a bit more reinforcement and the different material is grab a few more base and just, uh, yeah, grab it, 
couple of base cards on each side again of the on the outside of the penny sleeve. So put some base underneath, some base on top. Yep. And that'll keep it that'll keep it nice and rigid. Sandwich it in. There's the sandwich. Put the sandwich down for momentarily. Grab a bit of tape. Mm. Some tape around the Sanger. I Make sure you don't tape the yeah. don't tape the actual card. Yeah, just tape uh, tape around the cardboard. We've got some base cards in there as well, top to bottom. So you're covering all and, sides uh, of it. Yep. Like yeah, it. all sides, all sides, and it's nice and reinforced, and it's reinforced. It won't move in transit, and uh, yeah, all, all good to go. Um, again, variations of using the same materials are absolutely fine, and using these same techniques are ab absolutely fine. Um, no issues at all with them. So some people choose to put cardboard inside the team bag, stuff like that. Fantastic. Whatever anyone wants to do. Um, I'm talking about what's what's you know acceptable at the minimum. Um, to be honest with you, I don't like receiving cards in a penny sleeve in cardboard. Sometimes they have to do it, but I don't like it. It makes me nervous. Even like just now when I'm cutting it open, it makes me a bit nervous that I don't want to hit hit my card. Yep. Um, so yeah. Now. One more special thing that I'm going to show you all the legends is mm. my new technique that I stole from the engineer on eBay who sent me a card. Right. So I'm going to chuck, chuck this guy in a top loader. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to get my two, uh, my two icy pole sticks here. Yep. Probably should be doing this with masking tape, not sticky tape. But basically what I'm going to do is go corner to corner, corner to corner, front and back. And I'll yep. do it the opposite way on the other side. So it basically creates like a, a brace. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, like, it's like a brace. That's right. It's like, it's like a brace. And because they're wooden sticks, the, the brace itself is far stronger than using any other material. It's quite unbelievable. I don't know how I never thought of this before someone sent me a card this way. I don't know how well you can see that. but well, we, can, we can see it. We can see it. Yeah. All right. So I already did the other side. Put some on this side. Bang, bang, bang. Love this. Anyone who's got something from me in the last week, this is uh, how it's coming if it hasn't arrived yet. Oh, AJ special, I like it. AJ special. All right. So there we go. It's braced with the sticks. Yep. It cannot bend. It cannot bend. It doesn't bend any direction. I love it. Going to go in my drawer here. Pull out a team bag. Bang, team bag. In. Sorted. Your beauty. Lovely. Look at that. Oh, if I can pluck this uh, thing off. Mm -hmm. Close her up. Close her up. Done. Sealed. Good. Love it. <laughs> Very okay. cool. So you've now, right. you've, now you've done all the right things. You've prepared your cards. They're ready to go. What are the steps that you need to now do to actually start the redeeming process with Select? All right. So the requirement for the redeeming process with Select is you take the redemption card and you send the card to Select. We can probably see your face you now if you want, AJ. You can probably tip your camera up as much as it is thrilling vision looking at your chest. Oh, you know. All that time the gym's, the yeah, the gym's paid off. Yeah, man of the people, as they say. Mm, like it. Okay, so folks. All right. So, yep. Yeah, so we've got, uh, we've got our cards here. So, yeah, the way it works with the redemption is you send in your card you're to be redeemed and you also supply whatever they need in order to send the card back to you. 
mm -hmm. um, in terms of the, the packaging and the mailing. Um, they'll of course supply the additional top loader, the, the signature or whatever the redemption comes in. But aside from that, you need to, to supply the other stuff. So people do it in a few different ways. I like to do it with you know, the most amount of protection possible that my items are going to get to and from their location. So I do everything either registered or express post. Now, um, the way to basically do it is you need two padded envelopes. The padded envelope you're sending the card to them in, but also the padded envelope that needs to come back to you. Um, so my process is as follows, basically. So I've got two different size padded envelopes here. On each of these ones, as you can see, I've put a prepaid registered post label on each of them, which you can buy from any post office or you can order online. Yep. And then I've also I've also put my own postage stamps on them, which you don't need to do. You could do both of these at the post office. I just do it for convenience. Yeah. Yep. So so what's going to happen here is the big guy is going to be the one that I send to select. The small one is going to have my return address on it, and that's what they're going to send me back. Sure. So inside the inside the big one, inside the big one is going to be the little envelope, but also with the cards. So but the not cards go but not sealed. Not sealed. Not sealed. You can't seal it. So you can either put them. In, I, I like to put them in the actual mailer in the mailer to like in one mailer into the other, so, so they've got a bit more protection. Not sealed, of course. Um, yep. Some people just might put them loose. Might put the mailer and the card separately loose in it. So I take one, I put my my uh, my address and my details on that. I yep. put the tracking number. I put the tracking number straight into my application. So I've got the tracking number already. I put it in and it just shows up as pending still. Then I send. I put one package inside the other. Not working now. It's working. It's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, here we go. So I put uh, one's inside the other seal this one up, send it to select, put that tracking number into my app, bang. It goes in transit on the way, I track it whilst it's on its way to select, I see when they get it, I see when they receive it, and I can see when my, my transaction's complete because all of a sudden, they've lodged my own one that's coming back to me. End of story, all sorted, done. All right, so a couple of questions, because obviously I've got some things to redeem and there's, I'm sure there's people out there can you send multiple cards in that are different? So perhaps you send a Captain Sig and a Guernsey Sig Redemption and maybe a Premiership Redemption. Can you send all three of those in one envelope to come back in one envelope? So probably got to be, uh, be a bit careful here with, uh, with what I say because mm -hmm. so select terms and conditions wise, you're supposed to send in every card individually. Okay. My, my experience and the experience of, everyone else I know that's done redemptions um, is that select is realistic yep. about this sort of stuff. And as a result, you can send it as a batch. And that's what I do quite simply is for the sake of, it's not even a money saving thing. It's more that I don't want so many items, you know, in different sets of transit. Yep. Um, I'd rather them all to go together and all get done at once, not be tracking a million different items, all that sort of stuff. So what I try to do is because select doesn't have a time time limit on when you need to redeem the cards, except there are very particular cards from certain series that they can't redeem because they don't, they don't have the actual redemptions, but 95% of, of cards from since 1993 are actually redeemable with select still to this very day. They hold all the cards on site at their office in Sydney um, and yeah, I send multiple. Um, 
you know, last year I sent a massive amount after dominance. I sent like captain signatures, hall of fame signatures, all sorts of stuff, like a very significant amount. Um, and what I ended up doing in order to take a bit of the burden away from them and try and make the process more efficient. I put all the cards I was sending into a spreadsheet and then I took a copy of that and I emailed it to info at select. And I said, hi, just wanted to let you know, I am about to send off all these cards. They should arrive to you in X amount of days. I just wanted to give you the heads up as maybe it helps you with organizing it in advance or if, you know, I'm not sure exactly. Courtesy. That's right. I don't know what the internal process is and I don't know if it helped my cause, but all I know is they are so quick at turning around redemptions. It's unbelievable yep. to the extent that I've seen people already send stuff off like five days ago from this current series and get captain signatures back already. So yep. yeah, credit to them with the, the redemption stuff. For sure. Yeah. And I, I must admit, I've noticed that as well. There, there was a, a post somewhere where someone that received the item at 805 at select they got their new tracking number back at like quarter past nine. It was literally yeah, like a 45 minute turnaround. That was, which is amazing by select, amazing service. Uh, amazing. When you consider like companies like Panini and the big international ones, I think can take up to 20, 24 months or something oh, like that. Yeah. And like, there's, there's apparently it's like, there's no chance you'll get one back within 12 months sort of yep. thing. Like it's, yep. it's crazy. So yeah, no credit to them for, for what they do and how they honor their redemptions as well. The past ones. So Okay. Good on them. And should you be taking photos or getting insurance on your package or any of that kind of stuff? Like, you know, there'll be some people out there saying, well, if I send this off to select, how, how will they know that I've sent it? Is it just going to go? What, how can I protect myself? Uh, so it's a bit of a personal preference situation as well as a trust based situation. So for me, whether I'm sending cards to select or I'm sending cards to, to someone I've traded with or sold a card to or whatever it may mm -hmm. be, I always have a record of what that card is and whether that's by way of photos of the card and the package, or if I'm tracking it in a spreadsheet, whatever it is, I have the details of what that card and the transaction is. So it can be proven at any given point in time. Now select is interesting. Like most um, card companies, I think, and their, what their requirements actually are. If a card can be proven to be stolen or, irreparably damaged the manufacturer as long as they can confirm that card is no longer in circulation they can replace that that card itself and therefore the redemption the re, the, the redeemability of that card um i th i have heard a story of of a card getting lost in transit on its way back from select to a customer and then what happens is select replace the card and then, but a police report and everything had to be filed and the original card was declared stolen. So if it was ever, if it ever did change hands, it would be effectively confiscated and removed off the market as well. So um, yeah, uh, um, and with regards to insurance, uh, it's a personal preference thing with respect to insurance. Uh, some, you know, smart people probably, yes, they, they insure it. I sent a lot of redemptions off to select. I didn't insure them. Um, in hindsight, maybe I should have, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's risky. People don't know Australia post. If you don't insure something, the maximum Australia post will pay out to a sender is a hundred dollars. And that's if you can prove that they're at fault. Yeah. So I guess, look, if you've got 10 pendles, captain SIGs, probably don't send them all at one go just for your own little protection. But at the same time, if you choose to, and you follow all the steps, you should be okay, pending nothing goes pear shaped with uh, Australia Post. Yeah, it's an interesting prospect. Um, 
personal preference, I suppose. I think personal I'm pre- a bit crazy. I'm, yeah, I'd probably send all 10 of them in one go. And I'd, <laughs> I'd, sp- I'd spend 10 minutes thinking about if I should get it insured or not. And mm. if I'm going to spend, you know, a, a few hundred dollars of insurance to make sure it's, it's double protected. Um, yeah. Uh, personal preference <laughs> personal preference all right cool well look obviously we've had a little bit of fun with this segment and um certainly there's going to be a lot of people out there that know all these things but there's also so many new people in the community like myself that you know have not yet redeemed a card and these are all valid questions they want and obviously all these things you're more than welcome to contact us on all our social channels if you've got something you want us to cover on cardboard school you know there's no such thing as a silly question we're more than happy to go through it so Protect your cards, respect your cards, respect the people that you're sending cards to. You want to send a card in the same fashion that you're going to want to receive it. And um, and if you could follow all those steps, well, hopefully you have good experiences in trades or sales or redemptions, whatever it might be. Well, I feel like I've talked a lot, which is, you know, regular watchers of the show would realize that is an absolute rarity. Um, so I think it's a good time to hand it over to AJ's mailbag. Oh, always one of my favorite parts of the show, AJ's mailbag. Mm, and uh, once again, thank, thanks again to everyone for submitting such, uh, such great questions. And um, as I said, I put up a, a post today actually on, uh, on one of the social pages just saying if you've messaged me personally with any questions, drop it in a comment or drop it on Card Authority. It's just hard for me to keep track of everything. So once again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a selection of a couple of different questions here from members of the card collecting and more specifically the AFL card collecting fraternity. Yep. And uh, I've got a few up in front of me on my screen here. And I might pick a couple of them and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Do your best. I'm, I'm going to go with Glenn McInerney to start us off. So Glenn has asked us a really good question here. And again, all the questions are really good, but uh, I'm trying to pick things that we may not have covered yet before or things that can also connect together. So Glenn McInerney has asked the question, would the introduction of a series of cards numbered to five or 10, or even one of one, like mm-hmm. NBA or MLB, be something that AFL collectors might see in the future? Good question, good question. Okay, so it is a fantastic question. And from my personal opinion and my personal perspective, no, I don't think it's something we're gonna see in AFL anytime in the near future, mm-hmm. unless, unless the international manufacturers ended up with an AFL license and started to follow that path. But I think AFL card collecting is is very unique. And the way numbering works with AFA, AFL cards is almost mutually exclusive to AFL because of the way the cards are collected. It actually might apply in NRL, I'm not 100% sure. But because the cards are mostly collected on a team collector and a team set basis, if you go, whereas like NBA and, and NBL and NFL and stuff like that, people target players and rookies and things like that. Whereas in AFL, it's very like team focused. So as a result, people are team collectors. Now, if you create something in such a low quantity that the base of collectors write it off as being unattainable from the outset, mm. well, they'll probably choose just not to collect either at all or collect that series or that that subset or whatever it actually is. So I think what we've seen to date is pretty much for select, for example, obviously the major, the major collect- collectible card for AFL in Australia 
their numbering has been, has gone down to as low as 25. Now I am aware that many years ago there was a card, I believe it, they were some Herald Sun signature cards that were only numbered to 10 and they're very hard to find. I know Brendan Goddard is the St Kilda one um, and they're very hard to find. But as far as I know, that was pretty much the only time they ever numbered something so low. I think they figured out basically by, by market analysis or experience, so to speak, that 25 is probably as low as you can go before you start alienating the entire team collector bases where, you know, there's always, there's more than 25 collectors. There's more than 25 people that want a card number to 25, but not all of those people would be able to attain it based on its value or or anything anyway. And it also then, you know, you need the demand to outstrip the supply in order, in order to, to make the card, you know, give it value basically. Um, but I think if you go below 25, you could maybe go to 20, but anything lower than that, people start looking at it on mass and just start going, well, what's the point? If I can't get the card, what is the point? And, you know, similarly, there's people saying at the moment because of the price increasing cards over the last 12 months and especially over the last six months, but also the amount of high-end cards for high-end players that are coming out, people are feeling very financially exhausted by it. And some people are saying, geez, like, if you bring out another Dustin Martin high-end card this year, how am I going to keep collecting? I used to spend 5K a year to get my two sets done. Now it's costing me 15K to get my sets done sort of yeah. thing. So um, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting time at the moment because this is, it's a very relevant question from Glenn. It's super relevant both based on the numbering, but also based on how many high-end cards are coming through. Um, and yeah, uh, it's yeah. yeah. It, look, it, look, it's, it's a good point you make, and I guess look, you, we see it in NBA, and obviously I, again go into a few NBA breaks, and occasionally you've seen one of one cards come out, and as much as that's awesome, in NBA there's a little bit of a different structure where people collect players, not so much teams. So if you get the one of one LeBron James, that's an awesome card, but you're not sort of ruining people that might be collecting Lakers sets or something like that. So I can see how it works with NBA. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting because, you know, obviously I, as a logo collector and a Dustin Martin collector, I would love a one for one logo or a one for one Dustin Martin. But I know that if another Richmond collector has that, I'm never getting that. So it makes sense why it wouldn't work in AFL. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, NBA is such a huge global marketplace as well that therefore the demand exists where the and the capital and the money exists to drive cards to tremendous prices. You know, I, I, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I don't think an AFL card is going to be worth $100,000 anytime soon or probably yeah. ever. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, maybe after 50 years of inflation and CPI or something like that, but... Yep. I just, I, I can't see that. Whereas NBA, because you're talking about an international marketplace, you know, uh, a Zion Williamson, you know, the Zion card we talked about on that, on that mini cast mm. a couple of weeks ago, yep. you know, that, that's effectively a one of one, you know, a one of one patch or you've got the one of one logo man patches. Those things are going for like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're at auction. So there's real people actually bidding on that stuff. Um, it's just so people know from the outset that if they're a collector of Zion Williamson, 
it's unrealistic unless they're prepared to spend half a million bucks it's unrealistic that they would get uh, the Zion one of ones or or that sort of stuff but there's so many other variations to choose from so they're comfortable with it I just think in AFL that mentality it, it just isn't there and it will just drive collectors out of the hobby to be honest yeah. all right good point good question Glenn very good question Fantastic question, Glenn. Thanks very much uh, for that one. Um, all right. Surely, surely you've got another one for us, AJ. I do. I do. I, there's so many good questions. I'm just trying to decide. You know what? I think I'm going to go with Paul Menich here. Okay. Paul Menich has, has dropped a ripping question here, and it's got a few different parts to it. Oh, so okay. uh, it might take us a couple, a couple minutes to get through it. Okay. Paul says... So many, so many breakers at the moment. This will cause all boxes from select to be open soon and run out. Certified mm. 2016 nearly sold out and they will move on to honours. Honours honors is a series. They'll move on to honours next, etc. until everything is sold out. What then? Will this put pressure on select to bring out more releases to keep up with the demand? Or will we see other non-select releases start increasing in demand like Team Coach, Scanlon, Regal, Etc. When will this madness stop? Good question. So that's good that's question. uh yeah that's a, a good uh multi-pronged question there from Paul. It's an absolute ripper. Um, it's a statement and a question in one. What Paul's effectively saying is breaks have become really popular. For those who don't know what a break is, a break is effectively a syndicate of people buying in together into an amount of product that someone live opens on, on a live stream for all those people and each person participates in a different way. So generally for AFL, it's in teams and you end up with a team. So what would happen is if Andrew and I were happened to be in a break and it was a, a, a one box break, they were opening one box of Dominus and I have St Kilda and Andrew has Richmond, every St Kilda card that comes out comes to me and every Richmond card that comes out goes to yeah. Andrew. And the same applies for all the other teams and all the other people in it. Um, what Paul is basically saying is that, and is backed up by the, the data and it's real, is that there's so many breakers at the moment. There is. There are a lot of breakers and there are a lot of break pages. And it's a reflection of the marketplace and how big the market is at the moment. Lots of people complain about breaks. Lots of people praise breaks. There's good ones, there's bad ones, there's indifferent, there's everything in between, there's expensive, there's cheap, there's good product, bad product, search product, every type of product. Yep. At the end of the day, learning by doing, experience, trust, experience for yourself, make a decision for yourself, trust the advice of people you know who have had the experience themselves, cool. make your decision, the market will determine the good and the bad. The bad will the bad will be gone, and the good will prevail and succeed for the longer term. Um, so he's saying a lot of breakers at the moment, which means they're they're purchasing up a lot of stock. His reference staff certified 2016. Most people who've been around in the hobby for a few years know Certified 2016, a fantastic series, but also a series that came out at a time where there wasn't much stock being purchased. As a result of that, it was always thought that about thir roughly 30 percent. Um, of the stock remained unopened and sitting in either Select's warehouse or the distributor's warehouse. What has happened is in the last few months, all that stock from Certified 2017 and Certified 2016 has been depleted because there's so much demand for people wanting to go into breaks, but there's no 2020 product available. The breakers have purchased older product and they're breaking older product. At the end of the day, though, it's the people buying into the breaks that are fueling the demand for the product. And what we're seeing now with, for the first time, increased sealed product prices across the board 
is, is it's not the breakers that are causing it. The breakers are just a service or a facility that's providing something that the consumer wants. So if the collector, the speculator, the investor, the flipper, the whatever, I call them participants. Everyone that's in the hobby is participating in some way, shape or form. If people want to pay to go in breaks, well, the breakers need to buy stock. If people don't want to go in breaks, then there's no need for the breakers to buy the stock. What's going on right now is a direct result of the person next to you, not the person in front of you that's trying to run the break. It's the person next to you who's trying to get cards. The one in front of you trying to run the break is providing a service. As I said, good or bad, that's not the point. They're running a service. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So does that, does that mean then that, uh, sorry, that wasn't a sign to hurry you up. You're uh, making a very good point. But does that mean then effectively, as uh, Paul mentioned, that slowly will just move back into old series where there's stock available? Like, does it become a tipping point where like, nah, people don't want to buy into cards that are from 2014 or 2010 or whatever it might be? Surely there has to be a limit, doesn't it? Yeah. So, well, my opinion is that at the end of the day, with everything that we do with respect to cards, there has to be a value proposition associated mm -hmm. with it. It has to stack up. If you're going to go pay recommended retail or you're going to pay double retail for something, well, you have to have a rationale for that. And the logical, rational thinking is, well, I'd be prepared to pay more than the ticket price for something because the value of what's inside it is worth more than the money that I'm paying. So yeah. I'm either going to get nothing or nothing to very little or something of really good value is basically how it's got to work. So, uh, yeah, it all depends on what the stock is. So at the moment, you know, we've seen a huge buy up of old series two product, which is the, the hobby product that's released each year. This year, it's, we're talking about dominance as opposed to footy stars. Yep. Uh, last year, dominance as opposed to footy stars. 2018, select legacy as opposed to, to uh, what was other footy stars or champions or whatever it was that year for series one. So series two is the hobby product. That's the product that has signatures and redemptions and, and be lots of numbered hits in it and numbered cards. So that's traditionally been the product that gets broken the most because now all that stuff has started to dry up from every year because the demand is so huge. We're starting to see series one product, which is the mass merchant retail product, the $3 a packet stuff yep. that you buy at 7-Eleven or the Servo or Caltex or wherever it is. Yep. That stuff is now making its way into breaks but it's going to hit a point. It will hit a point where the cost of facilitating the break outweighs what can come out of those boxes and people will begin and that will be the slowdown. So breakers need to make really smart, informed decisions at the moment of do I invest in more older stock from the manufacturer or do I conserve what I have in terms of more current series two stock? Or do I look to overpay on the secondary market for series two stock? Yep. Uh, that, that's there. Yeah. The market will determine it. Uh, well, that's uh, very valid. And again, it's all about finding a value proposition that works right for you as um, for someone that works or you know, wants to be involved in breaks. Um, all right. Well, I think that was another excellent edition of AJ's Mailbag. So obviously if you've got any questions, please send them through the card authority. Facebook or Twitter or through the website or any of that stuff. And uh, we will certainly add them to the list for AJ to tackle next week. But I think we're about to hit time for my favorite segment and the segment that everyone loves out there, 
unicorn hunting. And well, let's just say I've been up and about in the card authority offices this week, even though we've been in isolation and we don't actually have an office, but I've been up and about with excitement because we posed a unicorn last week, which was a Luke Hodge influential card from certified 17. Now the, the gentleman that was looking for this Luke, he, um, he reached out to me and he said, look, you know, love the show. I saw what you did for Lachlan. There is a card that I don't even believe exists. And I think I even forwarded you the messages, AJ, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, in another podcast. And you said, yep, you said, yep, it exists. It's around. And I'm like, cool, have you seen one? And you said, nope. And I'm like, bullshit, doesn't exist. We're not going to be able to get it. So Luke, again, the guy that was after it, was like, nah, nah, you're never going to do it. You're never going to do it. Well, the power of card authority, the power of this community the power of the unicorn hunters out there, we bloody did it. We did it, AJ. We got one. We this is two one. weeks in a row, mate. Two weeks in a row. Yep. Yep. It's just, it's, it's actually pretty mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. We're talking about people who have literally been searching for cards for years yep. and cannot find them anywhere. And uh, somehow... Card authority, it's reaching, it's reaching new corners that we didn't know existed at the moment. And uh, what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing for, for these guys. Yeah, and look, this is a little bit of a special situation because I was actually heavily involved in this hunt. Um, you know, obviously we get told about a lot of them and we get to share the experience. But, um, you know, I'll paint the picture. So obviously we put the call out, we put the episode up. To say that there was some uproar 24 hours after it, all these guys coming out of the woodwork. Everyone wants this card. This is hot property. So, you know, everyone's like, well, I want one too. Go and find 10 of these. We want one. And of course, you know, we got lots of emails. I know you got lots of messages about it. Anyway, late one night, I was off doing some work and um, a screenshot appeared. And the Luke Hodge Influential had just been pulled in a break. And I'm like, right. I've, I've got to grab the harpoon. I've got to go and try to land this while I can. So I jumped onto Messenger. I messaged the person that just pulled it. I messaged the person that was running the break, desperately trying to do the deal. And look, um, it was a lovely lady, Jill. I won't give any more details on that. And I started talking to her and I found out that what she wanted was a Patrick Cripps influential in exchange. Now, people that have been around for a while will know that that is almost equally as difficult to land as well. So I quickly reached out to all sorts of people, seeing if they could get one. And wouldn't you know it, I found one on eBay. So I quickly jumped on eBay, bought it off eBay, went back to the lady and said, look, I have got your unicorn for you. Let's do a unicorn trade. So there was a whole heap of backwards and forwards. And obviously there's always, you know, trust issues when you're sending cards backwards and forwards, but all parties involved got it worked out. One card was express posted from one side of Australia. Another card was express posted from the other side. All the moons aligned. And today, Luke, who was looking for this card, finally got it in his hand. Um, It was amazing. It was an amazing experience to be right in the middle of it. And again, I, I don't take any credit. You know, I was just a, a conduit. Um, you know, it's the the power of the card authority community that did it. But 
yeah, I want to say thank you to all parties involved. Um, Jewel was amazing. Luke was amazing. Um, you know, Anthony was amazing. The trust that, you know, everyone put into everybody was fantastic. So thank you for everyone. Um, and yeah, another successful hunt. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. And, AJ. Yeah. Congrats to, uh, to all involved. And as you said, it's not just, uh, Luke, our, our viewer, listener member who, uh, who's got his unicorn, but it took a unicorn to get the unicorn. So yep. we've got two unicorns riding off into the sunset together. Yep. And it's great. So it's great. So amazing look, stuff. Congratulations. Yeah. To, to Luke and to all involved and uh, well done guys. And well done to credit to you, AJ, uh, pulling that all off in, in a single night as well. Very nicely done, sir. Yeah, no, it was nice. And nice. I'm a team player and you know, it's always good to uh, get cards into the hands of the people that want them most. So look, as you said, two weeks in a row, um, you said to me today in our production meeting, you're like, well, shit, mate, what are you going to do now? You basically clock the game. You can get any card anybody wants. And you challenged me. You challenged me to this latest hunt that we're going on. And you said, yep. hang on, hang on. One card, that's too easy for you. I want you to go on a double hunt. And I'm like, what? A double hunt? And then you sent through the email of what was required. Let me get the details up because we want everyone to listen carefully. Let's see if we can prove AJ wrong again. And let's see if I can get this double hunt. What we're looking for is a Nathan Buckley captain signature from authentic 2001 series. So it's about 20 years old as well from the same series, a Wayne Campbell captain signature. So these cards, there was only 50 of them made. They were randomly inserted into 12,000 odd boxes. I think they're about one in every 480 packs or something like that. So there's not a lot of them around. These things just have not been seen. So we've got two hunters that are looking for two different cards from the same series. And, and look, these aren't cheap. What, how, how much do you think these are probably worth janks on the open market? It's hard to say because they never really change hands. Um, they're certainly worth worth a lot of money. And when it comes to captain signatures, everyone knows captain signatures are very much the pinnacle of, of subsets in AFL. And these ones sit amongst the rarest and most desirable. So they're definitely expensive cards. But I think one of the reasons why the double hunt is going to happen here mm. is because there's every chance that someone who has one has the other as well because these are the types of cards that would be sitting with master set collectors or subset collectors that collect captain signatures. And hopefully there's someone out there that maybe has a spare of each of them, or they've got a double set yep. or whatever it may be, and they're prepared to break it up. But I'm really hoping that uh, we can put the feelers out and we can track down both of these cards. If we can get one, I think that's a big win, but if we can get both of them, we're just taking it up a whole nother notch again. And, and it'll be credit to you guys of the community. So obviously we'll definitely put the artwork out this week. And, you know, we, we've had a bit of feedback too about people saying, you know, are you guys only going after expensive cards? That's certainly not the case. You know, we're, we're happy to chase unicorns of all value. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a criteria, which, you know, we can certainly discuss with people as they message it. They've got to be legitimate unicorns. They can't be, available on sale and you just don't want to pay the money that's not what it's all about um these are pricey and again as aj mentioned they're most likely going to be tucked away in someone's set the hunters are prepared to pay the money they're worth which is obviously half the battle we just need to see if we can track a couple of these down so 
everyone tell your friends again they're 20 years old so they're you know they could be tucked away somewhere but um nathan buckley and wayne campbell captain signatures from authentic 2001 let's do it let's let's go three for three let's just do it let's do it that's it aj we're just going to get it done the mm. people, the great people of the card collecting community, they're going to band together and we're going to see if we can find these cards. So, uh, yeah, as you said, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, on that note, um, it's been a great show. You've been amazing as always. I think we've just lost AJ's audio because I reckon maybe his headset has gone yeah, flat. Yeah, uh, my, my audio just died right at the right time there. Well, it's a perfect time to probably finish the show. So thank you very much. Obviously, we had a little bit of fun tonight. Um, you know, hopefully we provided some tips on how to package cards and redeem cards and all that sort of stuff. So as always, if you've got questions for AJ's mailbag or you want to submit a unicorn hunt or you just want to ask us anything, um, get on to Card Authority on the on Facebook page, shoot us a message, let your friends know. We're always here. AJ, brilliant job as always. And you, my friend, and you. Uh, it's been so much fun doing these pods from ISO. And uh, again, just to let everyone know, it's now 1.06 a.m., so this is coming in uh, hot. We've, uh, we've tried to keep it as relevant as possible. So when it drops, uh, when you're hearing it for the first time, it was only recorded a few hours before. So once again, we hope everyone's enjoyed this episode of The Card Authority and stay tuned for more.